Like people fall short of goals all the time. It's okay. And acknowledging that it made you better, you grew, and hopefully I'll get the next one, you know, and, and not shying away and saying, I'm a failure. Now I can't, you know, say I'm going to go after anything again because people are going to think I'm going to fall short. That to me has been a huge lesson in my life of, you know, of course there's going to be naysayers that are, oh, well, you didn't do it. You know, you screwed up or you failed, whatever. But to me, it's like the important thing is you just got to keep going after it, man. When there's something that you're passionate about, it doesn't matter how many times you fall short. You know, at some point, hopefully you're going to stick the landing and it's going to feel amazing. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Freedom Solar Power. When I first started looking into solar, I thought it would be a clunky and expensive process. I've learned it isn't nearly as hard as you think. Freedom Solar Power makes it simple. They provide a turnkey solution that is focused on educating their customers on the experience from installation to everyday use and savings. They ensure you have all the information needed to make sure going solar is right for you. From firsthand experience, it makes sense both financially and for the environment. With no down payment required, solar not only adds immediate value to your home, but it's also great for the environment and might even provide immediate savings, not to mention the year-end tax benefits, a credit of 26% this year. Freedom Solar operates in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida, and there are plenty of other great options nationwide. Thank you to Hydro for sponsoring this episode. Hydro is an immersive workout experience designed to bring the physical, mental, and emotional experience of on-water rowing straight to your home. Hydro workouts are quick, efficient, and low impact. Rowing for just 20 minutes a day provides you with a full body workout, which engages 86% of your major muscle groups. For context, cycling engages 44%. Head to hydro.com to check them out. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com to learn more. Be sure to use the code FTLR100 to save $100 on your order. Thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. From their versatile session tops cut from a soft stretch knit to lane five and Reggie short tights perfect for racing a marathon, these pieces are built to work as hard as you do. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me, people who know that the best part of a busy day is squeezing in a workout. They offer products for training, racing, and rest days, which you know I'm a fan of and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run will receive free shipping and 5% of the purchase amount will be donated to the Michael J. Fox Foundation to help find a cure and support those living with Parkinson's. Welcome back. I have Adam Kimball joining me today from Tahoe City, soon to be Truckee, closing on the house today and here to talk about it. That's right. That's right. Always making time for my man, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) So the first question is a doozy. Who is Adam? Adam is somebody who is always looking to push himself. I've always just been somebody that no matter what it was that that I was doing, I wanted to 
get outside of my comfort zone and see what I was capable of. So ultimately, that's what I am. I'm a, I'm a professional ultra runner, motivational speaker, running coach. But in all of those things, I seek to, to get the best out of myself and the people that I work with. And so I, I just, I've, I've had a lot of experiences in life where I've come to understand that we're all capable of so much more than we think we are, or maybe than other people think we are. And so that's what I'm constantly trying to do is get the most out of myself and other people. Where did that come from, right? Because when you when you start running, a lot of people will put tangible goals in the calendar, and uh, or you know, I want to break X or I want to run Y versus progress. At what point did did you realize that like that's your that's your thing? Yeah, I think it. I think it's really over the culmination of a long period of time. I I grew up playing all sorts of different sports. I actually played baseball in college, so running was something I came to much later in life. And I think through all of those things, you know, through the ups and downs um, in my college career, in the beginning of, of the, the first couple of years, I didn't get a ton of playing time. I played at a division one school in central Illinois called Bradley University. And then later in my career, I got the opportunity and, and I had, you know, some uh, a good senior season specifically. And, and uh, I think what I just realized is that, you know, like sometimes when you're in the middle of something or in the thick of it, it can be hard to... Uh, to look around you and see the full picture it kind of takes time and hindsight to to recognize that uh, it isn't always just about, uh, you know, at, at the time in college, it wasn't just about having a great game then. It was about developing as a, a player and a person over the course of a four-year career. And and similarly with running, it's, you know, it's it can be hard to separate those tangible goals because if you set the goal, you think you're capable of it and you fall short, that's disappointing. Uh, but at the same time, there's always so much to be learned from, from any experience, whether you nail the goal or not. And I think in a lot of cases, like you hate to say it, but for me, some of the times when I've fallen short of the goals has propelled me to future successes that I might not have had otherwise. So, you, you know, Can I don't, you give I don't, an example of one of those. Yeah, sure. So, you know, uh, an easy example and something that a lot of people around here are familiar with in, in 2020, I broke the, the fastest known time on the Tahoe Rim Trail. And uh, it's 172 miles. The previous record holder was Killian Jornet, who, if you're not familiar with him, I mean, he's arguably the the greatest ultra runner of this generation, maybe ever. And uh, so I broke his record. But before I broke the record, I I went and ran the Tower Room Trail, and I fell many hours short. Uh, his his record was 38 and a half hours. The first time I did it, it took me 45 hours. And I made some mistakes. There were some things that you know didn't coordinate properly with the crew, that sort of thing. And then it, it sounds goofy, but as soon as I, literally as soon as I finished a 170 plus mile run, I said to myself, I know I have to do this again. And, uh, and I, I just learned so many things and I wanted to put those into practice and give it another shot because I knew the second time around, I would at least be giving myself a chance at the record, even if I didn't break it. And then the second time I broke the record by like an hour and 20 minutes. So uh, that was just one of those things where falling short the first time, you know, maybe I would have broken it the first time, but that I just feel like there were so many things that I learned. It's like every single time you run a race, every single time you go out on a training run, there's a process, there's growth, there's things that you're learning. And if you take the time to implement those things, it's going to make you better for it. And I think for myself personally, I should say, maybe I don't always reflect as well on the times when thing, you need to just stick the landing because it's like, oh, great, hit the goal, move on. Uh, but when you have to sort of assess what went wrong, what were the things that I could do better, I think for me, it's made me better in the future. Totally agree. Uh, I've seen it over and over again with my own running and with conversations I have on on the podcast. 
Um, I want to ask more questions about Tahoe Rim Trail, Western States, all this kind of stuff. We're both wearing Western States shirts uh, for this little chat here. But let's let's dial it back a few years and a few miles, uh, a few thousand miles probably. When when did you get into running, and and why? So in 2011, my wife and I we got married that year, and and she wanted to to do a little distance running just to kind of like train and get fit and feel good heading into that. So we decided to sign up for a half marathon in Chicago together, which is where we were living at the time. So did a half marathon then, and I I discovered then, and I know this isn't the case for everybody, but I discovered that even though I loved the race, actually the training was maybe the most fun part for me. I like, I just loved the process of building up to a half marathon and then running the race and being like, wow, that was pretty crazy. I didn't know I was you know, capable of doing that. So then the following year, 2012, we ran the Chicago marathon. I sort of had the opposite takeaway after that one. I remember sitting at brunch with some friends after the race, telling them I was never going to run a marathon ever again you know how that goes. And then, you know, maybe two weeks later, I signed up for the next one. Um, and, and it was really just about, you know, I, I kept thinking about it. It was like, wow, that was amazing. It hurt so much at the end, but I think I can do it a lot better. And so then in 2013, ran a couple more marathons. And then in 2014, a friend of mine dragged me along to uh, a 50K in Indiana, a trail 50K. And that sort of was like the the breaking point for me of being exposed to, whoa, this is like way different than anything I've been doing thus far, but still pretty cool. You know, I, I remember at that race, it was in May in Indiana and it had ra- it was like torrential rain the whole week leading up to the race. And so I remember like a quarter mile into the race, I was in knee deep water and like trudging through like the woods, just thinking this is nothing like the Chicago Marathon, you know? Um, and, and then from there, I... I it was like an intrigue thing. I was like, okay, I did a 50K. What's like the next, you know, I wasn't really super familiar with ultra running at the time. So I was like, what's the next step up here? So then within like a four month span, I did a 50 miler and a hundred miler that year in 2014. Um, wouldn't recommend that to most people. That was kind of a, you know, a pretty quick uh, entry into the sport, but it ended up working out okay for me. And I realized the further that I went, the more I loved it mainly because of the problem solving aspect of it. It's like, you know, uh, a marathon is in no way straightforward, but sometimes you can make mistakes and and sort of get away with it. I feel like, uh, whereas those mistakes are exacerbated when you're out there for four times as long. So, uh, I think I was really intrigued by that aspect of it. Just like constantly having to overcome and, and problem solve and figure things out. It's so fascinating how some people run marathons and they're totally hooked and other people run marathons and then find ultras and they're like, I can't go back. I very much straddle the the line. Um, I really enjoy racing marathons as much as you can enjoy them, and like running long distances on trails. Um, next Monday, I'm doing uh, four pass loop, and it's 28 miles, and it's just like an adventure day. Yeah. But for for some reason, I I don't like racing ultras. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one thing that I find interesting, I I totally agree with you. I feel like there tends to be two camps. Like you're usually in one or the other, um, at least like at one time. You might be like a marathon runner, convert to trails, go back, whatever. Uh, I I sort of straddle it the same way you do. Like, I, you know, I'm a professional ultra runner. So the sponsors and the people that I work with, it's for running long trail races. But I still, every single year, other than one year, every year since I've started doing that professionally, I've made sure to at least get in one road marathon a year. 
And it's just because that was what I started doing and I still love it. Yeah. You know, it's just that I found more success elsewhere. Yeah, it's like keep it sharp on the roads, but um, have fun with uh, with the trail adventures. Um, totally. Talk about your your journey into becoming a professional athlete. You work with Hoka, right? Hoka, Rabbit, Buff. Those are my my three main sponsors, and uh, and actually Tahoe Mountain Realty, who's a, a company out here locally in Tahoe. But yeah, you know, in 2016. So actually, let me let me go back one step further. In 2015. I was, my wife and I were traveling internationally. We quit our jobs, traveled for a year. And I was, honestly, we were going around to different places and I was kind of seeing in different countries, hey, are there any races taking place around the times that we're going to be there? And so a few of them synced up and one of them, uh, it was called the Gobi March. It's a, a stage race in the Gobi Desert in Northern China. And essentially, if you're not familiar with stage races, it's just like a, it's a multi-day self-supported race. So you carry all your stuff all your food, all, you know, any clothes that you might need in a pack. The race company supplies the water. Um, and then you run from point A to point B. It's like, so the first day might be a marathon or 50K. You cross the finish line, camp overnight, get up and do the same thing again, like five days in a row. So this particular race was 150 miles over five days. And uh, I ended up, I ran that race and I ended up winning it. And there was, you know, there was like 300 runners, from 40 different countries. I was like, whoa, this, you know, it wasn't the most competitive race in the world, but still I was like, this is pretty crazy that I just kind of showed up here and won this race. I wonder if this is something I could do, you know, potentially for a living. And so uh, I started looking into that. And then before I started really racing a lot back in the States, uh, I decided to run across the US. And that was sort of when some of my partnership uh, relationships were, were built. And so between February and April of 2016, I ran across the U.S. Uh, 2,500 miles in 60 days, and uh, and that was sort of like I, I just I sought out some of the companies that I'd been using their products and said, "Hey, this is what I'm doing. I'd love to to partner with you." And two of those companies uh, were Hoka and and Buff, who I've been working with ever since. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And then I started racing, having some success at races, and then other partnerships came about after that. But it sort of began at that point. Why Why cross-country? Why did you do that? Yeah, honestly, I was when we were traveling, I met a guy, a British guy, who's a friend of mine, and he had biked across the country. And we were there was one night, we were just hanging out, having beers, and he was telling me about it. And the way he was speaking about it and lighting up, I was like, man, it sounds like he had just an absolutely epic adventure, you know? And, uh, and I like to cycle, but I wouldn't cycle across the US. So I thought, hey, maybe I should run. And so I looked into it at the time and I, I was setting out to break the, the world record for doing it, came nowhere close, um, but still made it from coast to coast, which was pretty, pretty rad. So I started in Huntington Beach, California, went to Tybee Island, Georgia, and uh, starting in, you know, with my feet in the Pacific Ocean and then ending with my feet in the Atlantic Ocean was pretty pretty wild, you know? And, uh, and the funny thing is, I, I, actually, this goes back to what we were talking about before, how sometimes those, uh, things that you think like the, the success that you were after not having that success can teach you and help you grow a lot more. This is another example. I, I was hoping to break that record. I didn't. And through that process, I connected with so many more people. I think than if I had broken the record, there was, there was like thousands of people reaching out being like, Hey, we're so inspired that, that you're not giving up. Like I was having injury issues and, and all kinds of things. And, and they were like, we're, we're just like the, the inspiration that our team was providing to other people was really cool. And I feel like 
there's a chance that maybe we miss out on some of that if I just kind of skate through, have a great run and, and break the world record. So, uh, yeah. I think struggle is relatable. And it's like one of the things that connects us as humans, for sure. It was so cool to watch Mike Wardian do the same thing across yep. the country and finding dogs and runners in all sorts of different places and having you know entire communities show up and, and run with him. Uh, mutual friend of ours, Tina Mir, ran her first ultra uh, with him in St. Louis. And it's just like, it's so cool how this kind of stuff happens. And he raised, what, $100,000 for, for charity as well. So it's, it's so cool what can transpire from these superhuman feats of, you know, quite literally just putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. I've, I've told so many people, Jonathan, that, that of the expeditions and the big kind of things that I've been on, I also ran across Great Britain, Scotland, England, and Wales in 2017. So as I reflect on, on those kind of things, you know, it's for me, a big part of it is just setting a huge monumental goal and saying, let's figure out how to make this happen. But then what ends up happening is like the thing that I come away with is that I'm blown away by how incredible people are when you put yourself out there and try to achieve something big like that, like people just come to support, they're there. It, it brings out the best in everybody. And that to me is one of the things that keeps me coming back to those sort of adventures because it's just, there's, there's nothing like seeing people rally around a cause like that. It's just so cool. Let's take it one step further and talk about Western States. For those who haven't spectated crude paced at this race, it's 100 miles point to point from Palisades Tahoe to Auburn, California. Um, it starts at 6,200 feet, climbs up to 9,000 feet in the first <laughs> three miles, and then you cruise on down to uh, down to Auburn through some canyons and 110 degree heat and all this fun stuff. Um, but the spectacle of people dedicating their entire day or day and a half to helping somebody else achieve a, a goal is is incredible. I didn't sleep for 23 hours on Saturday um, and I really love sleep and <laughs> I, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that for for anything for that experience. Um, talk to me about first what what were you thinking about on the start line? Yeah. Funny that you ask that question specifically. I think this is the first time in my life that I've been at a start line. And I literally had this thought run through my head. I'm watching, <laughs> they did the, the countdown from 10. It's like 10, 9, 8. And in my head, I'm thinking, this is going to be a great but long and hard day, man. Like that that was what I was thinking at the start line. And I normally, I'm just kind of in that like competitive mode. Here we go. And it was just funny. I kind of had this human moment of, this is going to be so great, but it's also going to be so hard. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and, and it is, and, but that's what makes it beautiful. You know, it's the, that race is, I think I kind of back to our conversation before I, one of the things I love about Western States, a lot of people refer to it as the Super Bowl of ultra running to me, it's the road marathon major of ultra running. Like that's, that's one of the things that's so cool about it. It's got the closest thing that I've ever experienced to a road marathon atmosphere at a hundred mile trail race. And that's one of the things I love about it. It's just so electric. And you think about the amount of time, I mean, it's 30 hours, right? So it's like you said, people are out there literally all night, but that energy doesn't dissipate. If you head to an aid station in the middle of the night and it's completely dark and you know nothing else is happening, those people are still dishing out all kinds of high fives and energy and smiles and, and helping every single runner come through. And to me, that it's just, it's humbling, I think, to 
to be a runner in the race and to receive the support that you receive, it's both overwhelming and humbling because so many people just want to, they want to serve, they want to be a part of it and they want to help you in any way that they can. And it's just a really special thing, man. So 17 hours and 28 minutes after you had that thought on the start line, you're crossing the finish line with your daughter. What's going through your head at that point? Yeah, as I'm as I'm coming across the finish line, I'm thinking, one, I was thinking, I'm so glad that my daughter was awake because normally she's asleep at that point. <laughs> she's nine months old <laughs> and she normally goes to bed about 6.30. So uh, it was 10.30 at that time. And yeah, I, I was just really hoping that my wife was going to either keep her awake or or have her there the, to share that experience with me. But but yeah, I was I was crossing the finish line and I, I'm a, a sentimental person and I, I'm always like one of my favorite things when I finish a race is just kind of like reminiscing on all the the special moments throughout the day. And so as I was holding her crossing the finish line, I was thinking about mostly about my crew and my team and all the sacrifices that all of them made. And, you know, I think it's, it's like, again, you can be the best, most talented runner in the world. Uh, you can, you can be Jim Walmsley and break the course record twice and have three of the four fastest times ever, but you still need that big team in your corner, making it happen. You know, like, this is not a, as with most things, this is not a, a one person sport. This is one person might get the accolades, but it's a whole team behind them. And, and so that's what I'm usually thinking about crossing the finish line is just how grateful I am for all the people in my life. It's a fun filter for the type of people that get to be involved too, right? You can't really be an asshole in this sport because you can't be successful on your own. <laughs> like, yeah, it, yeah. It's not really possible. And so if you're, if you're an ass, like nobody wants to help you and you sort of can't really do it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a fun self-selection of some of the greatest and best people in, in running, um, in these longer, in these longer trail races for sure. Yeah, totally. You know, there's a, there's a guy, a friend of mine that I coach, his name's Taylor. A few weeks ago, he ran his first hundred miler and then he was out kind of spectating and helping at, at Western States. And, and he was like, man, you know, I had a great time, you know, running that 100 miler, but that beat me up. And just being out supporting and, and crewing, he's like, that was maybe more fun, you know? <laughs> it's like, you get a little less pressure, a little more fun, and it still gets to be a part of the community, which is just incredible. So you talked about your move from Chicago to Tahoe. You talked about your quitting your job, traveling the world, and moving into being a full-time athlete and, and coach the commonality or the the consistency there is taking a risk and, and betting on yourself. I've often said that um, the people who live in mountain towns or places like Tahoe or Boulder or Flagstaff are really interesting people. And they are, they are people who are not from those places and they've gambled on themselves uh, and bet on themselves to take advantage of the space around them for sport, essentially. Um, I feel the same way out here in Boulder. I, I find everyone to be incredibly interesting and have a like a really cool story about why they're here versus my family is from here and I was born here and I grew up here and why would I move kind of a kind yeah. of a vibe um, that was my experience on the East Coast and I lived in the same you know within ten miles of where I grew up for thirty years. Um, I'm curious about your risk taking tolerance and betting on yourself. Um, first, is that something you've recognized? And second, has that always been the case? Yeah, that's a really great question. I th I think it is something that that I have recognized at least in in recent years, 
But I also acknowledge that for me personally, uh, I'm the beneficiary of having an amazing partner in my wife who has been able to give me a little more leeway to pursue those things. You know, what, I, what I've told some people is that in the, in the first couple of years of running professionally, getting supported by sponsors, um, starting to do a little more run coaching, in the beginning for me, um, you know, maybe for, for some of the, the absolute highest level athletes, it's different. But for me, it was, I was making some money, but like nothing that would, would have supported our family enough, you know? Um, but because I stuck with it and was able to keep building upon that and had the, the support of my wife, both financially and, and in general, I was able to, to grow that to the point where now it is self-sustaining and I'm doing what I love literally every single day. I, I've tried to build a life around running just in general. You know, I do some race directing, coaching, running myself, um, volunteering at races, you know, like all the things that I do tend to, to revolve around the same passion. And so, yeah, so it, there definitely was a bet on myself, but I also had support to make that happen too. And, and I'm eternally grateful for that because I think if it had been just me trying to, to pay all my own bills by myself, uh, maybe I wouldn't have, you know, bet on myself as hard as I did. And then, uh, would have ended up in a different place. It's hard to say. So I'm just, I'm grateful that I'm here. I'm grateful that I'm doing what I love and, and a part of this community because I can't, it's weird. I'm sure you feel this way too, Jonathan. It's weird thinking about the trajectory and sort of the, the domino effect of life that's led me here. But I, I cannot imagine what I would be doing with my life if I wasn't doing the things I'm doing. So yeah. it's, it's like hard to, it's hard to even see that, that alternate universe where I'm, you know, like at, maybe at some desk job doing something else because I can't like, I, I'm so invested in what I do now that it's hard for me to imagine that. It's so crazy. I know, I know you're a religious guy. My, um, my grandmother, my, I was talking to my grandma about basically what's meant to happen will happen and nothing is random. And I think about all the like inflection points or pivots in my life that have led to us having this conversation, right? Sunday was nine years since the first day I went to November Project, which is like what got me into fitness and running. And I was following an NHL player at the time, Andrew Ference, who had been tweeting it about, um, about November Project. So I knew what it was. I was out at a bar uh, at midnight and we were talking about, oh, this November project thing. Oh, we should show up. And I knew what it was. We agreed to go the next day. This was a Tuesday night after we went to a Red Sox game. And like six hours later, we showed up and we started running Harvard Stadium. And that led to getting further into the running community. That led to the job I'm in now, which is like totally supportive of all of my pursuits around uh, the podcast and traveling to these races and you know all this stuff. And it's just like so crazy how seeing those tweets from that one person being at a Red Sox game with the exact people that I was with who also knew about November Project showing up the next day and then just this cascade of dominoes falling. And then, you know, the same thing with you, like your wife allowed you to do this, which led to this, which led to that, which led to you crossing the finish line of Western States with your daughter in your arms. Like, yep. isn't that wild? <laughs> it's wild. It's wild, man. I, I've always, uh, I, I love that. Like hearing you tell that story. I love that so much because I know it's cliche, but I've always been a huge, huge believer of the everything happens for a reason thing. And I just, I just feel like if you, if you like look at your life and the little micro decisions and those inflection points, like you said, 
it's like, it's impossible to ignore it, you know? And, uh, and it's beautiful, a, a cool sort of like full circle thing for me. Uh, my best friend who I met at, um, a company I was working at in Chicago, he was the one, he'd only done one other 50 K, but he was the one that invited me to, uh, that trail 50 K in Indiana back in 2014. And uh, his name is Josh. And he's now, uh, one of the people that is on literally on my crew for every race that I run. He came out for Western States. He was here for the TRT. He comes out for all my big races. And, uh, so it's like, it's cool to, to think, Hey, like originally at one point you invited me to this stuff and now you're supporting me on all these, all these races. So it's pretty cool, man. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. The For the Long Run team wanted to do something special for you guys, so we're partnering with our friends at Tracksmith to give away a full kit from their summer collection to one lucky winner. All you have to do is go to tracksmith.com slash for the long run or hit the link in the show notes and enter before July 15th. Good luck. Thanks again to Freedom Solar Power for supporting this episode of the podcast and our environment by providing an easy green energy source. The buying process was fascinating and eye-opening, and I am excited to pay my learnings forward. If you're curious about going solar in your home, message me on Twitter or Instagram, and I'd be happy to help your journey by providing some great resources. Freedom Solar is a full-service solar company that's been installing solar panels and backup power systems since 2007. They operate in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida. Not in any of those states? Don't fret, my parents have the same panels from SunPower that were installed by a different company in Massachusetts. SunPower is the best in the business, and that's what Freedom Solar uses. I've enjoyed working with the whole team over at Freedom Solar, and I'm sure you will too. Thanks again to Hydro for supporting the podcast. I've been enjoying my Hydro to fit in bonus cardio that doesn't take much time at all, as even a 10 to 15 minute row feels like a solid workout. It's a fun experience to be able to row on familiar routes or explore new ones on the water. Head to hydro.com, that's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com to learn more. Be sure to use the code FTLR100 to save $100 on your order. Thanks again to Tracksmith for supporting the podcast and their continued support of not just this podcast, but the running community in general. I'm proud to partner with Tracksmith and they're going to donate 5% of your order to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for all orders and you'll also get free shipping. The Michael J. Fox Foundation is dedicated to finding a cure and helping those living with Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers have or had Parkinson's and I'm grateful of Tracksmith's support for something so personal. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run, one word, will contribute towards this donation. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. That's so cool how it's come full circle. I just think of all those little, it's just, yeah, like you said, it all just sort of happens and nothing is is random. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's super cool how that works out. Um, I'm curious more about your experience as a professional athlete in some of these bigger races, right? The sport is maybe more popular than it's ever been. There's more media than there's ever been. Everybody has a podcast. And the the live coverage of some of these races is fantastic. What Billy Yang and uh, Dylan Bowman and Corinne Malcolm did around Western States, like the, co- the coverage was better than the New York City Marathon. I'm not joking. It's... It, 
And I'm not just saying that because I was on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> that, one, that, that one guy that, that Debo interviewed did an amazing job. What was his name? John, Jonathan Levitt. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I, I happened to be there when, um, when Hayden finished. And uh, anyway. Funny um, enough, funny enough, uh, Jonathan, I was, uh, Dylan interviewed, Dylan and Corinne both interviewed me on, 20, on the 2021 broadcast because I'm a buff athlete and uh, we, we did a little interview then too. So I was on that coverage, but yeah, I agree. I agree. It's so it's it's super cool what access so many people have, and you don't have to be in Tahoe. Although I recommend it, if you're interested, you <laughs> make every effort to to get there. At least get to Forest Hill for, yep. just for the afternoon. Yep. Um, I'm curious if you feel any pressure, particularly as a sponsored athlete by Hoka, who is a sponsor of the race. Buff is a sponsor of the race, etc. Um, do you feel any sort of pressure to to perform in that specific arena? Yeah, I do, but I would say it's more intrinsic pressure than it is extrinsic. I think I, I'm just I always want to get the the most out of myself and and have the best race possible, especially at a world class event like Western States, where you know there. I mean, there's it's hard to find other than maybe UTMB. It's hard to find a start list that's so so deep on both the men's and women's sides. Um, so yeah, I you know there, there's there's pressure. I, I feel pressure, but I don't. From my sponsors, I don't feel that pressure. I just I get nothing but support from them, and they they just want me to to do what I do, love what I do, and and represent their brand well. And that's one of the beautiful things. In fact, the only reason I was running the race this year is because Buff gave me their sponsored entry uh, into the race, and I was incredibly grateful for that. So so yeah, it, it's you know to me, I think honestly from a from a media coverage standpoint, more than anything, I just think it's cool, man. I it's uh. It's like so it's so awesome that I was able to like, you know, so I finished the race. This this is like, okay, so I, I ran Western States in 2018, uh, when this live coverage was not happening as it started in 2021. And then I ran it again this year, four years later. And, you know, I finished the race, had a billion text messages, people saying, Hey, I saw you on this, or sharing videos of the live stream and that kind of stuff. And then I was literally able to hop on YouTube after the race was over and go and check out some of the stuff, you know? And, uh, it's, it's just like, it's pretty, it's like, it's like I DVR'd a, a major league baseball game and went back and watched it later. It's, uh, I just think we're at such a cool point. I, kn- I know there's a lot of, you know, people, there's a lot of people that have negative things to say about broadcasts not being as good as they could be or whatever. And to me, that's crazy because I just think it's what is being done right now is, is so, uh, progressive in our sport and so good for the sport that it, it's just, I mean, at any time, I don't know exactly what the numbers were, but it seemed like at any time there was between like five and 10,000 people tuning in live on the Western States uh, coverage. So, I mean, like, how great is that, man? And then Sally McRae took the midnight to 7 a.m. shift. And so it was like comedy hour for... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Sally and Billy like just a, like kicking it overnight. Yeah. Yeah, like a laugh track with, uh, with Sally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it, it's just, it's so great, man. Uh, I, I'm, I'm like so impressed with how far along that's come. And, and similarly, uh, I know you were around then too, the week before broken arrows live coverage was amazing too. And Brendan Madigan, the race director of that race is a good friend of mine. They did such a great job. It's just like, it's changing the game. And for, if you're like, I'm like a nerd fan of the sport too. I think similar to, to Dylan Bowman, I, I could like my wife jokes. She's like, how do you remember that? you know, Jonathan Levitt finished third place at this race in 2017. I'm like, I don't know why I remember that, but I do. And uh, so I've, it's like, that's just always been 
part of my DNA when it relates to the sport. And, and so for me, it's like, it just makes everything that much more next level. I got to look that guy up and, uh, and see what, what race he finished third in. Cause that sounds yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's so cool. Whereas on the flip side, you have people who can't figure out how to watch a track meet. Right. And this is an enclosed space where you're never more than what, a quarter mile away from, <laughs> from Crit, all yeah. of the competitors. And, and it's, you know, you have Olympic athletes tweeting, how do I watch this track meet? Whereas then you have uh, remote hundred mile races where you have crews setting up internet access so that 10 people can have Wi-Fi in the middle of the woods to transmit, you know, people running with their iPhones and stabilizers showing, you know, busting up a, you know, a climb. It's crazy. Yeah, and yeah, and there's, it is. there's so much that, that the other parts of running can, can learn from ultra running, but they're not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my opinion is that we're going to see more and more people becoming interested in trail and ultra running because the media is making it accessible and, and we're seeing, you know, we, Billy's life in a day in 2016, following the top three women of that race drew so many people into the sport. And that was a single documentary and it was what, an hour long. Yeah. Whereas you have millions of impressions from the broadcast. You have a race the weekend prior that built up even more hype with similar personalities um, I'm just excited for what's what's to come and you know all of the the cool opportunities ahead. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, a good friend of mine, JB Benna, was the guy who created the film Unbreakable, also about Western States, which was about uh, Jeff Rose, Anton Krupicka, and and Killian Jornet at the 2010 race, I think. And uh, it's crazy to think, you know, that was like back when that film was made that generated so much i feel like that was kind of in like the initial boom of ultra running and to me we're in the second phase of that and i think it's even more exciting because like you said it's not a 1 hour film that like wow that was amazing it's like live coverage of all these events continuing to happen on an annual basis and just kind of digging more and more into the sport and the personalities and and i just i think it's uh you know, when you've got really knowledgeable people like like Corinne and Dylan, who themselves have been a part of the sport for a long time, it's amazing because they they've got such great background information and can really help tell the stories of the runners and and just kind of like deepen the whole narrative of everything. And and that to me is why, like you said, I I agree with you. I think you know, like the, U, the USATF is totally missing the boat right now on on all their stuff, and they have the resources to do it, which makes even less sense. But that that like ability to connect with the audience, I think is, is going to continue to grow the sport and, and it's, it's going to be awesome. Completely agree. Uh, I want to read a little quote from your Instagram post six days ago. Um, I was talking with my man, Jay Brown partners over a coffee at Tahoe house this morning, and we were reminiscing about Western States. I told him I had been reflecting a lot on how blessed I am to have such incredible friends and family surrounding me in my life. But here's some photos of our crew doing what they do best, selflessly loving and serving to help us all achieve an amazing goal together. I could win every race I run for the rest of my life, but it wouldn't matter unless they were there with me. I love you all so much and I would lay down my life for every one of you. Talking about gratitude. Yeah, like I said, it, it's it's funny. You uh, you spend 17 and a half hours out on, on a race course and, and then when you're crossing the finish line, I didn't think at all about the 
the pain I felt or the, you know, the, the times when I wanted to, to throw up because it was so hot. All I could think about was the people that were surrounding me and, and the things that they did. And, and you're kind of like I, the, the beautiful thing when you cross the finish line, uh, especially at a time like 1030, you know, there's still a lot of people around. So it's really energetic, which I was super grateful for. But I'm looking around for all my crew and, uh, and I, you know, I see them. I see my, my other friends that have just been out on the course kind of hopping along and, and supporting all day. And yeah, it's just, it's like I said, it's humbling to think about how much people sacrifice to help you achieve a goal. And, and that to me is, is the most incredible thing about this community, because when, when you're, when, when you're a crew member or a support team or whatever at a, or, you know, a volunteer at an aid station for a hundred mile race, you're not out there for, you know, one or two hours, which would be great. Even if it was just one or two hours, you're out there for an entire day, sometimes more. And it's, I, I just, gratitude is the perfect word to, to use because I'm just, when I finish those things, I'm so grateful for everybody that, that was a part of that and that helped me get across the finish line. And, and I just, I've recognized over time that none of that would be possible without them. And none of it would be anywhere near as meaningful because while I'm the one walking across the finish line, they, all of us together made that happen. And, and I think it's the recognition that we're all a big team and a big family, um, both within my, my team itself and the community as a whole. You know, there's like, you'll, you'll meet somebody at, at an ultra, uh, you'll run with somebody for a couple miles. The next thing you know, you're pacing them at a race later in the year, um, or they're coming to support you at another thing. It's like, it just blows my mind the, the connections that you make when you're, when you're in it, you know, in that, in that community, just expand. And then you just want to help and serve everybody that you can. And and it's a mutual respect amongst everybody. And, and again, whether you were Adam Peterman and crossing the finish line first, or the last person in the golden hour, we all started in the same place and finished in the same place. And uh, there's something really special about that. Yeah, the golden hour is, uh, is something special. But I think my favorite finish was the woman who finished two minutes after the cutoff, she uh, she has, a, I guess, a terminal cancer. And she wrote on Instagram, um, I don't have any evidence to suggest that running cures cancer, but I have even less evidence to suggest that it doesn't. And so it's so cool how we can use this community to push us forward and bring us forward. My first experience with um, the 100-mile arena was, I believe it was Run Rabbit in 2017. And I went to the, yeah, I think, I think that, anyway, let's say it was for yep. the sake of the story. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I was at the 50 mile mark to start and I was like, oh my God, these people are going to be out here for the next 12 hours. This is incredible. They're all volunteers. Nobody's getting paid and they're all just there in the support of other people. And I was going to pace a, a friend who ended up dropping and um, I ended up running with somebody else because I had to get down the mountain somehow. And uh, he was out by himself and he was just so appreciative that like I would run a few miles with him because otherwise it was, you know, middle of the night and in big mountains, anything can happen. And we, we shared, we shared like four or five miles getting down the mountain and maybe it was the early days of the podcast or the, the idea of the podcast, but I was like, what are you doing here? Why are you doing it? What's yeah. going on? What's going yeah. through your head? It's, you know, 11 PM. Um, no, it wasn't 11 PM. It was like 7 PM. Anyway, 
it's just so cool like where people's heads are at at the halfway point when you still have 50 miles to go i can't comprehend that i've only ever run 45 miles which sounds silly to like put the only in front of yeah yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> only 45 there's people that are hearing this going are you, are you out of your mind <laughs> um but it's all relative right like that again that's the coolest part of it that you know you can run you can run a really hard 5k and it's really hard and and mentally it's really challenging to like put yourself through that much pain for that period of time and then on the flip side the first time i went to western states i was so curious about why people were doing it i was like what do you what do you why are you going out there tomorrow why are you doing it i asked that question like 15 times on that friday and one guy was like man i just love spending time in the mountains and it's not a 5k <laughs> <laughs> Here's this dude was about to chase, you know, thirty hour cutoff, and he was just stoked that um, that he he didn't have to to hurt like a five k. And I was like, that's your context. That's crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I always joke. I always joke that every race from a five k to a hundred mile or even beyond, they all hurt. They just hurt differently. You know, the hundred miler is like a a slow sustain burn, uh, whereas a five k is like you know, bury yourself. You're, you can't breathe. It hurts so much pain. So. Yeah. It's something I look forward to experiencing one day. Um, Dylan asked me on the, on the broadcast, if I do the race one day, I said, give me three to five years. My curiosity with it is specifically around curiosity. Like I've said it before. I think anyone can run a marathon. I don't think everyone can race a marathon, but I don't even think everyone can run a hundred miles. And I want to find out if I can. Yeah. And I, I find the, the, the mental side of like, where do you go when things get hard? And, and how does that carry into life? And how do you take what you learn in between uh, Palisades Tahoe and the, the track or mm-hmm. whatever, the other, whatever the other races are and, and apply that into life? So I'm curious for you, do you take your learnings from running and, and apply it into life? And if so, how, how do you do that? Yeah, I definitely do. And and to kind of backtrack to the, the first part of that, a big thing that mentally a place that I tend to go during races like that is heading into this race specifically. I had a couple of friends that are that are going through some life or death stuff right now. And it I think when you when you go in with the perspective of, yeah, this is like something that's really, really hard. It, there's gonna be a lot of ups and downs, but it's I'm doing what I love and I'm choosing to do it. And I'm not, you know, I'm healthy enough to do it. And I'm not in a position where, you know, I'm uh, like the woman who who finished has that terminal cancer, you know, like I was running this race cancer free. And um, you know, I've got other people, other friends and family that are going through some really serious stuff and I don't know. I, I just, I tend to take those things and use them as motivation to, to say like, and, and, and as perspective to say, this is like a really, really tough thing, but I'm not going to give up because they're not giving up, um, in their fight against, you know, whatever it is. And so that's, that's a big thing for me is just recognize like the perspective of it all. And, and then similarly taking that and applying it to life. It's like, whether you had the best race of your life or the worst race of your life, you went through an amazing experience. You had all of you shared all these memories with with your family and friends that were there, and you came out a, a better person for it, regardless of what happened. You know, I was I was talking to the same guy when you read that that uh, post that I made on Instagram. The same guy that I was having coffee with, 
his name is uh, is Jeff, and Jeff ran the race, and he he got timed out at uh, Pointed Rocks, which is five miles from the finish line. So he missed the the very last cutoff uh, before getting to the finish. And I was talking to him, and and he had nothing but but gratitude and positive things to say. He's like, you know, of course I wish I'd gotten to the finish line. Of course I wish I had, you know, come in under the thirty hour. Uh, cut off. But at the same time, it doesn't change the fact that I had this incredible 95 mile experience with my team. I was like, really, really down in the dumps. It was going really poorly. And my pacers and my crew pulled me out of it. And we shared these amazing experiences together. And there's just so many things that that you learn about yourself, how you deal with adversity, how you deal with ups and downs, um, maybe you don't deal with it so well and you realize I've got some work to do there, but no matter what, there's so many things that you can apply to life. And, and I just, I come away from every one of those events thinking I'm a better human being. I just need to, to take these things that made me better and, and continue to practice them in my life. And it's like a sandbox, right? There's with some exceptions, there's very little risk in failing, uh, in running, right? If you go to the hospital, there's some inherent risk. In- yep. You know, if you have extreme rhabdo or you fall off a cliff or whatnot, but for the most for the most part, um, you're going to finish or or you're you're going to survive, yeah. Uh, whether you finish or not, and so it's it's just this like muscle memory or this exposure therapy, I guess, is a better is a better way to say it to to like get really uncomfortable. Um, I lost my grandfather in 2018, and. Um, it was the first death in the family of somebody that was close to me. And there were a lot of uncomfortable parts around that, um, specifically leading up to like knowing that I was going to have a last conversation with him at some point, And I would probably know when it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, my running was better than it had ever been. And I was also either going through a breakup or about to go through a breakup. Anyway, so like a lot of like shit going on all at once um, with again, my running was better than it had ever been because I was choosing discomfort and I was saying, okay, this is going to suck for the next 25 to 35 minutes mm-hmm. and then it will be better. And then the next time that I do it, the next Wednesday, the next Wednesday, the next Wednesday, um, things will get progressively, not more comfortable, but um, mentally more comfortable. And then I could take all the all of the like learnings from the run and apply it to like, okay, I'm going to sit down with my grandpa in Florida and um, talk to him one last time. And I can remember just like shaking, knowing that this was to be the last time I would ever talk to him in person. And and I was like, I'm prepared sort of for this in a weird way. But I don't know that I would have been that prepared for it without the, like again, exposure therapy of discomfort from a Wednesday workout for the last X number of years. Yeah. And I just vividly remember this one workout. It was um, eight by three minutes or six by three minutes along the Charles River in Boston. And on the fifth rep, I was like, make it fucking hurt. (laughs) You get to do this. And I just remember, like, I swear, I can still remember thinking that. I remember exactly where I was, like almost to the step. And I remember the rest of the workout. And again, this... Running is so insignificant and meaningless in the grand scheme of things, except for all of the the stories and connections and everything that we get to make of it. And if you ran a hundred miles from from Palisades to Auburn and you did it all by yourself, big deal, right? right? 
right. but you you were able to share such incredible highs and lows with with your family, with your friends, with people that are so close to you, and that's the beauty of it. That's like that's why we do it. Amen. And I dude. love I love that. Yeah, that's so powerful, man. I think uh, you made me think of one thing back to you know, the initial question that you asked me about who I am. And, you know, I told you I'm always seeking to, to get the best out of myself and, and everyone around me. I remember one thing that really stuck with me after, after I ran across the U.S. when I fell short of, of that goal, uh, trying to break the record. I had several people say to me that they admired that I just put it out there that I was going after this record. You know, sometimes people will do something and try to do it kind of quietly. And that's, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just remember they said that it's like the, the, uh, the feeling was they, they admired that I put it out there, uh, went after it, fell short and did that all publicly. And that's really stuck with me as, as something that, you know, whenever I, whenever I set a big goal, uh, I like to to put it out there because whether I fall short or not is sort of irrelevant. It's it's the pursuit of pushing myself and believing that I can do something. And then, you know, sometimes you hit the mark and sometimes you don't, but that pursuit and that process makes you better for it. And that exposure therapy, like you were just saying, of going after something and not being afraid to fall short of the goal. It's like people fall short of goals all the time. It's okay. And acknowledging that it made you better. You grew and hopefully I'll get the next one, you know, and, and not shying away and saying, I'm a failure. Now I can't, you know, say I'm going to go after anything again, because people are going to think I'm going to fall short. That to me has been a huge lesson in my life of, you know, the, of course there's going to be naysayers that are, Oh, well you didn't do it. Yeah. You, you know, you screwed up or you failed, whatever. But to me, it's like the important thing is you just got to keep going after it, man. When there's something that you're passionate about, it doesn't matter how many times you fall short, you know, at some point, hopefully you're going to stick the landing and it's going to feel amazing. I totally agree. Um, in one of my first marathons, I wrote a quote from Shalane Flanagan on my arm to remind me of it. And it was, I, I don't remember the exact phrase or the exact words, but it was basically like, put yourself out there, share big goals, bring people along for the ride and see what happens, basically. Yep. And again, we talk about snowball effect or having a ripple effect. You put yourself out there, allow somebody else to think that maybe they can do something cool too. And in the process, two people have gotten better. And yep. then it's just like a downline effect of everyone progressively gets better or more confident or is willing to take more risks, that kind of a thing. And uh, that's really why we're all here, to make everyone's experience uh, better. Absolutely, man. And sometimes you don't always know that's happening, you know? Like sometimes behind the scenes... Uh, I've had people come come up to me like years after something and say, hey, I, you know, I followed along on this and that really inspired me to do X, Y, Z. I'm like, wow, that's, if you had never told me that, I never would have known that, you know? So yeah. the point is like, you never know who's watching and they might not even tell you they're watching, but um, you're still going to inspire people. And I think for every one person that says something, there are probably 10 or 50 people that didn't say something. Great I had point. a conversation with, uh, with Joe Holder, who's a... Um, He's got a masterclass. He's got all sorts of um, videos and programs through Nike, the the Nike app. And he's got a huge audience on social. He's got I don't know, 150,000 people that follow him. And I was like, what is it like to have that type of influence on that many people? He's like, man, I don't care. If I have the ability to impact one person, I win. Yep. So I love it. That's well, cool. Well, Adam, it's, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, congrats on your finish and Thanks, on whatever's man. next. Um, excited to hopefully share some miles with you in the future. 
And uh, good luck on your move later today. Hey, or, or thank- closing later today. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much, man. Uh, and hey, whenever in that three to five year span, if you need some extra help, uh, whether it's pacing or crewing at Western States, you know who to let me know. Cool. Course, course knowledge is always good, <laughs> especially with good people. Adam, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to chat and we'll see you out there. Sounds good, Jonathan. Thanks, man. All right. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 